is Graphic Interventions. Hello, I'm Harriet Atkinson, a historian of art and design and the host of this podcast series, Graphic Interventions. My focus in this series of interviews is on how political conversations are initiated, enlivened and made visible through the graphic form. In each episode, I interview one maker about one thing they've made, a poster, a banner, a zine, to discover why that thing came about, what it meant then and how it resonates now. In this episode of Graphic Interventions, I met Sophia Niazi of the UMP Artist Collective. We discussed one of their recent projects, Milka Chai, an artist-led cafe which aims to serve chai and create spaces that nurture friendship and enterprise across class, caste and religion, and bringing together artists from the UK, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka and Nepal. The project culminated in the zine, which was the subject of our conversation. Sophia started off by introducing herself and UMK. I'm Sophia Niazi. I'm a member of UMK Artist Collective, which stands for One of My Kind. And I run that with Rose Nordin and Hiba Lamara. Today, I'm going to be talking about project which I did with a group of artists from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Nepal and the UK as part of a group called Milke Chai, which means tea together. So Milke means together, but we realised that it also sounds like milky, like milky tea. So we thought it would work on both levels. The piece uh, we're going to talk about today is the Milke Chai art paper. It's an A4 newspaper type object. It's risograph printed in blue and green. And the format of it is each artist who we commissioned had one page. So we invited them to um, to make a piece of artwork about any issue that they feel is important today. It's got 14 artists in it from across South Asia and it's got a double page spread with all the bios with all the information about the artwork um, and the cover is in Urdu and English. How did you make contact with that particular group? The initial group of artists who I was working with were a group who I met in Nepal in 2019. We were in Nepal with the British Council for a project called Creating Heroines, and it was lots of different artists and illustrators who were going to spend this week learning about different women's issues in Nepal and across South Asia. I knew one of the artists, Alicia Nandra, who I who I went to Nepal with from the UK and I had worked with before. But the other artists we met there and Nush, Aki, Aki came later, but Rachita, Shazel, lots of artists, I can't name them all because there were so many. That's how the initial group started. And from that group, we were able to pitch for some funding to do a project that kind of emerged from that week. Um, so I worked closely with Alicia Nush, Rachita and Shazel to come up with this Milke Jai Cafe and it kind of ca- came out of the fact that the program was very intense but we had the mornings to ourselves and we spent a lot of time going around sitting in different cafes and chatting and learning about each other so it was about how do we come up with a project that will allow us to kind of continue our friendship and be in contact and work together and also open up that to other artists. So that was how this piece came into being? Exactly, yeah. We got a commission to do the first Milke Jai, which was an actual pop-up cafe that we went back to Nepal for. So we went to Kathmandu for one week. We uh, sublet a cafe, then Uncle ran, and we just 
took it over for two hours a day. And we invited some other artists like Akitami from Mumbai, who runs Sister Library. Uh, and then we invited Shazel back and Rachita back. And it, it was kind of coordinated by me and Alicia from the UK. But it, it was this meeting point. And then we got like another small grant to run it again. But because of COVID, it, we weren't able to run it as a cafe. And we decided, why don't we run it as this experiment of thinking about solidarity in the way resources are distributed as well. So we're like, let's commission 14 artists and we'll contact that original gang of people to like uh, recommend people. And then we wanted the brief to be very open. So we we're like, it can be any piece of artwork in any medium. It just needs to be able to be printed in this newspaper format. And because I run Rabbit's Road Press, which is a risograph press in uh, East London, I was able to explain to everyone how to submit their artwork. It was basically, it was just black and white and we'd print it in one single color. So that, that's how that came about. We just wanted it to be this conversation, like a window into the world of other artists who are in other parts of the world. So like artists in India could see what artists in Pakistan were thinking about and were doing in their work and we could see what people in Sri Lanka were doing and we know it's a very small group of artists but we thought it would be really nice to to just have this window into other people's practice and other people's world but kind of on their own terms the only brief was like it's got to fit into this A4 page and it has to really be something that's important to you that's it so what are the some of some of the themes that come out of that work yeah the themes are really broad I mean some of them are political some of them are to do with feminism. Some of them are to do with nature, artists' uh, individual relationship with nature. Uh, one of them is to do with one of the artist's mother and her dreams of becoming like a holy woman. Yeah, so it's a mix of artworks that are responding to the political climate and also artworks that are responding to the personal interests of those artists. So it's just, it's relating to people on a personal level initially and then also them deciding whether they want to open up and they want to talk about the context that they're in, whether that's talking about the challenges or the opportunities. So the particular form that you've chosen, the publishing form and this sort of collective publication, what is it about that that you think resonates? Yeah, so we, myself and Alicia, were kind of managing this project from the UK. So I always try to work with formats and containers that I'm familiar with so I can get the best out of them. I'd worked on a lot of newspaper type, art paper type publications at Rabbit's Road Press, working with different groups um, and different artists. So I, know, I knew like logistically what would be required, how long it would take, how much it would cost, what the final outcome would look like. And that, that left a lot of freedom to focus on the content because there were quite narrow parameters. I mean, initially we were going to commission artists to make actual 3D work that would become part of a cafe that we ran. So it would be in the background of a cafe. We'd get them framed or mounted, however, but we thought that would really limit the number of people who would see it. And it's on a personal level, it's a logistical nightmare to like have to deal with shipping things from across the world. So this would be easy for the artist to submit the work to us via email. It meant everyone had the same amount of space. So it was the same kind of volume. As part of Imp, we really believe in the power of radical publishing and this idea of distribution and objects as the site for ideas. And we, we feel like that doesn't translate into publications that are digital. It had to be something that we'd handmade and put a lot of effort into that was shared. And I, I really like the process of 
of printing and folding and that would mean I spend time with Alicia we talk about ideas I think that's very much part of the process like creating opportunities that are nurturing for friendship as well and like I spent a whole day at Rabbit's Road Press with Alicia trying not to have a nervous breakdown (laughs) and print uh, 200 copies of this newspaper and then had a quiet time in Birmingham folding all the pages and I got my dad to help so it's really about this idea of solidarity and making art part of life that made this format seem like it would be a good one. So once you'd made that and you'd folded the pages and and the 200 copies were there in the world, what happened then? Yeah, then Alicia took lots of pictures of uh, the pages. We shared them online on our Instagram ahead of the launch because of the COVID restrictions, there wasn't going to be a, a launch in person. It would be just distributed by a post. So I think m- me and Alicia spent a couple of hours on Saturday at Ca- in Cafe Nero writing everyone's address labels because it launched on Friday. And then they will be posted out um, hopefully tomorrow. So they're going all across the world. We've got orders from like obvious places like India and Pakistan, but also um, other other countries in Europe, America. And we know it's not like a thousand copies and we know it's not going to, we kind of don't want it to go viral. We're kind of thinking, how do we keep things small? How do we keep things small enough that people can send us personal messages and we can reply and that things can lead to new projects as opposed to something going viral and it feeling like the work has been done. It's, it's not something that can be done. It, the whole project is about giving all of those voices that are not fascist, that are not negative, a space and, and being like, you know, loads and loads of people, most people would get on with each other if they, if they found themselves in the same space. And, and that's what it's really, that's what we found when we met and that's what we kind of, that's the conversation that we want to be a part of. So what is the relationship of place and location and all of those different people's location to this idea, do you think? this The very sort of dispersed nature of that community that you're working within it, on this project. I think the level of it, on one level, it's to show that it doesn't matter geographically where we are. There are meaningful ways that we can connect, learn from each other, be in contact and be friends, that it becomes part of this wider conversation and all these other efforts that are happening both within the countries and across the borders to kind of nurture this sense of solidarity that we are together and that, you know, our freedom is your freedom. And we recognise that on quite a simple level, when we got the grant, we were just like, it's COVID, how do we distribute the money? And how do we use this as a way of figuring out how it's possible to distribute money across borders and to commission people and what does it what is it to try and work in a way that is just and is equal as a practice like trying to figure that out and using this project as a way of figuring that out so all of the contributors got 200 pounds the same thing was expected of all of them we tried to make it equal access for getting the copies like everyone pays the same postage and we know that's not equal because obviously like four pounds in India is not the same as four pounds in the UK, but we're trying to figure out ways around that for now. We're trying to connect with a printer in India who we know, Akitami, to try and print copies there. So for us, it's very much about trying to figure out that question, like what does it mean for us to be 
living in the same time across these different geographies. It also in a digital age where geographies don't mean what they used to mean. Like everything that, that is in the newspaper is very understandable to everyone else on a level. So I guess that's where we are with working internationally. Yes, like we don't expect the cafe to be something that is in different countries, that is inviting people from different countries to come. But for the first one, it was important to illustrate how we had met. And I mean, the reason it was in Nepal was because the artists in India couldn't go to Pakistan and the artists in Pakistan couldn't go to India. The British Council were keen for there to be a project that was in South Asia. So that's why we did the cafe in Kathmandu. But also that that many wasn't centred in the UK. We ran another one in London afterwards. But it's always like a model. Like we don't want it to be centralised in any way. It's just an idea other people can buy into that if they want and run their own. Like we, we created merch and teacups and tea towels and things like that. We, In conclusion, we're not sure. <laughs> we're trying to figure that out. What's your particular motivation for working collectively? I think I've always worked within groups. We started working on UMC ages ago, like maybe nine years ago. And I think it's very much to do with the way we want our work to be very similar to our lives. Like we live communal lives and we want our work to be a continuation of that. The work we do requires so many different processes, so many different people working individually it just is not suitable for what we're trying to do like we're making work together because we're trying to make a world together it involves people to be together to have those ideas and to figure out what that is and it's a lot to do with enjoyment trying to figure out things for yourself so you can be useful more broadly so with our art we wanted to figure out what's a really great way of making art together and then the publication is almost a manifestation of that time that we'd spent together and that world that we were making together. I mean, the publication was always accompanied um, by lots of events and other things. Our work is about making the world that we want to live in. And in order to do that, we work together because we don't want to live in atomized worlds. So do you all come from formal sort of art school backgrounds? Myself and Rose do. I did an art foundation before we started working on Inc. And Rose had studied graphic design at university. So, but Hibba, Hibba didn't. Hibba studied English. In terms of how our training filters into our work or affects our work, we allow a lot of space and time for process in a way that we probably would not if we hadn't been through some sort of formal arts training. That translates into any type of project even if I'm not in an illustrator role or a graphic designer role even if it's a project manager role being able to understand the process that other artists are working with allows us to make room allows us to anticipate that there will be iterations and things will develop and that we need lots of deadlines and not just one deadline and it allows us to have like an investigative research process behind not just making, but also ideas and thinking up what we're going to be working on. I don't think you need art training to do what we did, but having it has helped. I think the, the most valuable things about art school was having that regular creative community and having access to equipment. And that's really what we've tried to focus our programme 
on at Rabbits Road Press. How do we create a space which would allow for a regular creative community to emerge? How do we give people access to equipment and ourselves access to equipment, which you often are just cut off from as soon as you walk out those doors after you graduate? And also we learn about communication. That's a lot of our work. It's not just about what we're saying. It's like, how do we communicate what we're saying? How do we have the best chances of that being understood the way we want it to be understood? And Rose is so good with graphic design and typography. So everybody's bringing in their expertise and it just makes projects a lot richer. And we're able to reach people on different levels that individually none of us would be able to. Can I just ask whether you had any examples of zines or or other kinds of community printing models or um, artists who you have particularly shaped the way that you work collectively? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I met Rose at a print fair. Me and Saba, who started with us, we met Rose at, um, I think it was a zine symposium in London. And myself and Saba had started our own little zine collective called Wara. So we were tabling at a lot of publishing fairs, a lot of self-publishing fairs. So that was very much a ready-made world for us to kind of enter into and to take our work into. And it was very friendly and open. There was this sense that you can kind of bypass the whole going to university, studying art or illustration and and having that sense of permission to make your work would kind of bypass all of that. And we're just making work and distributing it. And that has really informed nearly all of our work. The fact that we don't need to go through anyone to distribute or to make, that we can just rely on the collective, we can rely on people and we can just find things out for ourselves. We're very much part of like this YouTube generation of we can just learn it on the internet. We don't need to come ready to everything. And our works, even personally, my abilities have changed so much since I started. I know how to use InDesign. Like my work was quite crappy at the beginning, and but that was the best I could do at the time. It's kind of honouring your skill level at every time. And, and that's what I love about zine culture, that everybody is kind of, it's DIY, but people really put their hearts into it. Like it is, they're sharing the things that they care about. They're trying their best. Everything's not about them. There's this sense that being part of a community is really important and being part of this creative community where everyone is encouraging other people to make it makes your quality of life good it's not about any sort of celebrity status or hitting a pinnacle where something you've made has become really popular it's really about art being part of your life the newspaper the art paper has really been brought together really beautifully by our graphic designer Abira Kamran it was really wonderful working with her and having she was my lockdown buddy because we live in the same city and and so she was in my bubble and we had lots of conversations around what it means to be putting this newspaper together with contributors from lots of different places and I think language became a conversation and she's like very consciously decided to have Urdu on the front cover more prominently than English. That whole process of using art as a way of really unfolding ideas and bouncing them off each other, that's so much part of this object. And and I don't know if it will ever come across, but that's the thing I will take forward. It's this way of working that I've never really actually done before, this way of working which involves lots of different people from lots of different places and trying to honour everyone's voice. And it's something that myself and Alicia and Abira we'll all be able to like continue talking about and try and take forward. And because it's quite ephemeral, because it's an art paper and it's printed on recycled paper, it's not like hugely expensive. It means it's easier to to iterate it and have other issues in the future, like to have an issue two or three 
So that's something I would say about the object, that we didn't want it to be something that was very precious, a high-value item. We wanted it to be something that was, yeah, a bit more accessible. What you've just said makes me just want to ask a follow-up question, which is about the pandemic and about COVID and about what that's added to this particular object. You discussed the way in which that's changed your process and, and, and your way of collecting the material. And in a way, it sounds as if it's democratised that process to a large extent, because obviously it's, you're not any more reliant on having to actually travel somewhere, which is has has you know, disproportionate cost, depending on where you're, you're coming from and so on. But is there anything else that that, that experience of, of working together through this pandemic has sort of added to the final object that you've made? Yeah, I think with the pandemic, it made what we have currently in terms of any sort of infrastructure or an architecture within the art world that we've created, it made that very clear. Like, we know we have a printing press. We have the ability to print things ourselves, to not have to go through other people. Um, we have this incredible organic network of friends and people with different skills. Um, so it made that very clear to us that actually we didn't, even though everything was closing down and a lot of the professional work that we had had been like paused or ended, that we had such a rich world to kind of draw upon. And as everything was closing, the this paper and this project gave us a way of how do we open things, even though things are closing? And that really defined the way we wanted to work with people. We knew it was a pandemic for us, as it was for everybody who we were working with. And what did that mean? Like the immediate things were like, let's pay everyone as soon as possible. And let's give people a brief that they don't have to do lots of research and they don't have to send us like a, you know, they don't have to keep telling us what they're going to do or send a proposal or anything like that. And this was very much came from a place that we are also artists and what do what kind of work would we like to do at this time? We'd like to do something that wasn't incredibly intensive, that, that didn't require us to like do lots of research to kind of meet us where we currently were. Yeah, I think that's, that's how the pandemic shaped what we made, that it completely set all the parameters, in fact. Like whatever we made it had to be via email, we wanted to connect with people, you know, there's this absence of touch and presence. And I know that for me, because I, I wasn't going to any shows, I all of a sudden started reading all of these books that I'd collected, like exhibition catalogues that we'd been given when we'd done work in galleries and zines and even projects that friends had done that I just hadn't had the time to really go through properly. So it, it, making a publication, it felt like making something new and making something that was the closest thing to a substitute of what we wanted, which was this cafe, which was people hanging out. That, that's how we came to that. That was Sophia Niazi from UMPC. If you'd like to find out more about their work, you can find them on Instagram. That was the final episode of this series of Graphic Interventions. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed Graphic Interventions, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you're listening. Graphic Interventions is made by Harriet Atkinson and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council.